0: Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics, energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, Here is Sarah Roach-Lewis.
1: Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I am so pleased to welcome my guest, Meg Epstein, founder of CA South, a boutique real estate development firm based in Nashville. Meg has over a decade of industry experience and a wide breadth of expertise in all aspects of real estate development. Over the course of her career, Meg has been involved in the development and construction of over 260,000 square feet of residential and commercial real estate, representing over $150 million to date. Welcome to Breakthrough, Meg.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Good morning.
1: Well, just let's jump in. What inspired you to get into real estate development?
2: Um, actually, it's sort of a funny story. I was in I was in uh, Barcelona my senior year in college, and I had already signed up to be an analyst. Jo- I already signed up to be an analyst, which is basically working for a financial firm in Excel all day. And uh, when I was in Barcelona, I was supposed to be learning Spanish and it just basically ended up being um, me looking at, I couldn't read any of the Spanish magazines or anything, so I started looking at architecture magazines because the architecture is amazing in Barcelona. (laughs) And I just sort of kind of had this, you know, instinct that I wouldn't be happy just getting a financial analyst job. When I went back to school, I went to school at UCLA. It was 2008 when I was graduating. It was that summer, and I would have probably been laid off had I taken the financial (laughs) job anyway. So uh, it worked out because I just was like, I want to do something I'm actually passionate about, and I loved architecture, and um, it was just sort of a a good way to get into it. So um, that's when I sort of deferred and, and decided I wanted to be a real estate developer. And then, of course, at that time in 2008, everyone kind of laughed at me (laughs) because they were like, you know, there wasn't any building or anything going on. Um, The market was starting to collapse and, and, you know, but I I just sort of circumvented that and stuck with it.
1: So what are some ways that you circumvented that?
2: Oh, well... um, when I was in school, I got, I got back and I decided uh, I was really interested in construction and building. And because the mar- because there wasn't develop, they weren't hiring for development jobs. I got a job working for a general contractor um, in Los Angeles, building a 60,000 square foot uh, house for someone. So it was a French chateau. And um, thankfully, you know, people in those price brackets could afford to build in 2008, you know, they right. were. it was a great time to build actually, because you had a bunch of very dedicated subcontractors and the prices were really amazing on building materials. So I, I went into the construction side of things and I just spent um, a couple of years on a job site, you know, learning the ins and outs of actual building um, beyond, you know, with the hopes of going into development later, it's just once I had to wait till the market turned around.
1: Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, in a previous life, I, I was part of a team that created this project here where I live called Trade Horizons. And the goal of Trade Horizons is to increase the number of women in the skilled trade sector um, in our mm. province. And so I'm super proud of that um, program. It's still around. It's in its 11th year. And we, you know, through that program and all of the partners in that, we've actually increased the number of women in the skilled trades by eleven hundred percent in this little wow. province and I have heard lots of you know I, I've worked a lot with employers and with women over the years and uh, it's not for the faint of heart so what were some of those uh, lessons and challenges that you took in that particular experience and have brought that to some of the other things that you're doing now?
2: Sure. Um it I mean I definitely was the only girl. I was on a job site with about 50 to 100 guys at a time running and I and I was also um the project manager in charge of, you know, the finance of the of the project and scheduling and um honestly, I think it was it was a little um it, it took some adjusting getting used to and it was hard, especially because I was 22 at the time. And these guys are, you know, 50 years old and been pouring concrete for decades. And they have, you know, I, I and I controlled their paycheck. So I think it was a little bit (laughs) an adjustment. I was just sort of really courteous about, about it and didn't, you know, tried to make people not feel like, you know, I was some young, you know, person, but I think that, um, it's just one of those things. I I think that's the most, uh, obvious, the obvious setting where I am a girl. (laughs) It's literally a job site with a bunch of, you know, rough, rough guys. And it was very obvious, but you know, I got used to it there and even still today, most of the people I work with are 50 year old plus white men. And it's just one of those things where I've become very active, you know, in similar type groups, like you've mentioned, to promote women in business and promote diversity and, and those type of things just because, um, it, you know, it is hard at first to get used to. But once you do, it's, 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 I've taken that and never really been intimidated or, you know, been, been able to command a lot, a lot of respect, I think, over time just having started in, in that setting for sure.
1: Mm, Yeah. So Meg, you um, seem to have an amazing ability to keep a lot of balls in the going at the same time, lots of balls in the air. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the projects that you have in development right now.
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, we have about, I have about eight projects underway at the moment. Um, One, the one that's just about to wrap up, I'm actually is uh, 77 units, very close to downtown Nashville. Uh, condo building, and it also includes 3,000 square foot of retail. I'm actually building out um, my office and my development partner so we can um, be in our one of our own projects, which I think, be, you know, speak really well, yeah, for investors and, and people. But um, that one's very exciting because it's just coming, it's coming to the permit where you can start to move in. We've sold out 50%. And one of the unique things about it um, is that you can short-term Airbnb rent it if you own it, and that's um, something that's very desired in Nashville right now. It kind of gives people the ability to own something as an investment, but also live in it, especially if they split their time. Um, so that's, that's been a pretty, I think it was in the, they wrote it up in the Wall Street Journal last week. So it's been a, a very high-profile fun project that's been really well-received. As I said, we're about 50% sold. We're, we're selling it much higher than we had anticipated. So um, so that's that's a really exciting one. I have a very similar template in that same area. Uh, 250 50 50-unit 50 projects with retail mixed-use urban core. Um, another waterfront condo project. Uh, one thing I noticed in Nashville when I first came here kind of having an outsider perspective was that the water really wasn't being utilized. And so um, I based sort of my development thesis on wanting to develop the riverfront as well as give people ownership um, options because there's a ton of apartments being built in the market right now, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity unless you wanted to own a house or buy a luxury condo to own in Nashville. And I think it's a great investment for, you know, millennials and and people that want to put their roots here and um, be, you know, be in the South.
1: Mm. And so, you know, one of the things that I had read is that you really felt that being a millennial was a that allowed you to really understand the mindset and and really see where that this particular niche is within Nashville. Um, Do you see how do you feel that your age and potentially your gender has brought a fresh perspective to this industry?
2: Yeah, um, I definitely think, as, you, as you've noticed, I mean, I've, I'm sure and you've gathered this and just you know, looking at our generations and how we're living and thinking a lot about uh, efficiency. And, you know, I came from L.A. where it's the big mega mansions and people want these big things, but that's not really the, the way that people are going in the trends. A lot of people rather have a smaller place to live that's closer to an urban core where they can walk to coffee shops and um, it's a lot more efficient. They don't want these big estates and to be out in the suburbs and commute as much anymore, at least in, my, in the millennial generation. So what I tried to do is offer, you know, I'm I'm, I'm on the National Civic Design Center board, which is an amazing organization here that promotes urbanism and parks and walkability and those type of things. And so I try to incorporate that into my developments by having a lot of greenery and um we have a few urban farm concepts and and things like that to kind of bridge the gap so people can have uh they can live in a city but also have you know all the spectrums of living out in the country I guess and and have access to parks and and be able to you know and good food and, th- and this type of thing so I think um And then also just my big bent on efficiency and not having, you know, I grew up in a house where it was a hundred year old beautiful farm, you know, outside of Sacramento, but it was just chores and, you know, very high maintenance and antiques and that type of thing. And it really influenced me because I just, I don't want people to spend their time every weekend taking care of their house. If they live in a very nice, um, modern, environment that's clean you have it gives you your time back a bit and so um our architecture is very influenced by modern design clean lines um just efficient storage and living you know technology certain aspects like nest thermostats that give you just the ease so that you're not basically it's very low maintenance lifestyle so that influenced me and then just my um You know, being a woman and having a bit of a design sense, I think, um, especially I've noticed, I mean, in California and New York and Chicago, there's amazing architecture, but here um, it's really been a bridge to get, you know, it doesn't, just because you're buying something for a couple hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean it has to be, if it's not luxury, doesn't mean it has to be Home Depot finishes. You can still spend a very similar amount and just choose the right you know, trick to, to make it feel really nice. And so, um, my architect's really brilliant at, at balancing, um, modern design with, with budget and, in you know, making it look a lot better and really choosing to use, you know, some nicer finishes in some areas and, and giving it that overall look and feel that doesn't have to be a million dollar condo, you know.
1: Amazing. I love all of that. And and this idea, I, as a business strategist, I spend a lot of time talking to people about um, creating efficiencies. And we tend to think about that only in our business, but there are all of these efficiencies that you're talking about in terms of where we live, and not having a 45-minute each-way commute takes an hour and a half off your day that you could be doing something else. So I, I really love the way that you have integrated and infused efficiency into the work that you're doing.
2: Thank you. It's been a big, it was a big influence on me when I moved um, to Nashville because for me to get from my house to my job site, it's probably eight minutes door to door and having lived in Los Angeles and San Francisco and spent several hours a day in the car, just getting around. You, you just, you don't realize how freeing it is to get that time back and people you know, spend time volunteering here and spending time with their families or your dog or whatever, you know, and it just, it gives you, so I wanted to give people that, like, if you're living, working downtown and you have a place to live, it just doesn't take, you know, you give your, you give people their time back, I think. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. So what inspired your move to Nashville?
2: Um, I want to say that I just made, I was some, you know, Oracle and made, the real estate. <laughs> I just called the real estate market and, and that's why I moved. But it was because I it was because I met my husband and he <laughs> lived here. So I just I fell in love with him very quickly and I moved very fast and was kind of picked up and once I got here it was it was very fortuitous that it happened to be amazing timing with the commercial real estate market. But yeah, it was for love.
1: <laughs> so um, you've been in Nashville for five years. Are people still still surprised to meet you know, a young woman in her early mid thirties in these rooms and 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 negotiating these deals.
2: Always, yeah, and and unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be going away. Um, I never. It's definitely. I you know I didn't work. I worked more in residential in California, um, and so I don't know. I, I'm sure it's much less prominent in, in bigger cities. I worked in New York a lot too, but. Uh, especially I noticed in the South, you know, I don't think there's another commercial woman real estate developer in Nashville right now. And um, particularly, because I handle the investment side of things and the finance, um, that's also really rare. So, you know, I, I think it's people are always surprised if I'm with my husband at all, they just automatic. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, they just If I'm standing next to him, they just start talking to him about it and they assume I'm the real estate agent or the interior designer or something, which is, I've just kind of gotten used to it and I just don't let it, you know, I don't let it bother me, but it's funny because everyone, you know, I always get, oh, so you work with your husband. I mean, it's just a constant, you know, conclusion or your daddy does this or something. It's just kind of funny, but, you know. That's, that's where we're
1: at right now in the South. Well, and, and I think it's, it's pretty common um, in in lots of places and it's really wonderful. I think part of the motivation for me doing this show is that only 2% of women have revenues, annual revenues in their business over a million dollars a year. And part of the, one of the things that we can do is showcase and highlight women like you who have who are who are doing it because that again m- you can't be what you can't see. And so you being out there and and changing the landscape, not only the landscape of, of Nashville itself, literally, but also changing this landscape with having these conversations and doing these sorts of things, I think, is is pretty extraordinary. So I'm going to bring us to break. And uh, when we come back, I love to just continue that conversation. You know, so much that we know about research is that the specific challenges that women, face around accessing funding whether that's through loans or investors so I'm curious to know what your experience has been on that and uh, for right now we'll go to break this is Sarah Roach-Lewis and I'm here with Meg Epstein.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to
1: Breakthrough. I'm here with Meg Epstein of, um, sorry. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Meg Epstein, founder of CA South, and we were just chatting about her experience being a real estate developer. And um, one of the things I'm I'm really curious about, we hear so much research about the challenges that women face in accessing funding, whether that's bank loans or investors. So I'd love to hear what your experience is with that, because obviously you've, you've, you've found some success in that area.
2: Yeah. Um, I definitely went about, so I manage a private equity fund now that it that deploys the capital in my project. So we're fully v- vertically integrated, but I definitely went about that, not just being a woman, like, but an unconventional way, even if I happen to be a man, um, just because I started in construction and development. And typically when someone's doing private equity, you know, or, or has a private equity fund or manages a fund, that they have had a New York background or, you know, an investment banking background. They've worked at Goldman Sachs for two years in New York. And then they, you know, take that investment experience and, and apply it. Um, so I definitely, <laughs> being a girl is one aspect of it. And then the second aspect is just because I had a construction background and, and kind of went about it the other way. Um, but, oh, man, I, you know, to be honest, I just started by cold calling. Um, wow. for an entire summer. Yeah. Uh, I didn't start with any capital. My, I didn't start with any, you know, people usually start with friends and family. I did not have friends and family like that. I'm from Sacramento, <laughs> you know. my, I mean, my parents are amazing, but they weren't, you know, they didn't, it wasn't like I knew a bunch of family offices or, or you know, had a country club to go to or something like sure. that. So I, I essentially started um, a couple years ago just by, cold calling and and googling real estate capital, you know, I mean, and I learned about all the different parties that go into building a capital stack, like, you know, when you want to do an investment, you know, debt and equity and what kind of equity people want to place and who you know, what investment bankers are versus private, you know, private investors versus family offices investing. And so I just I learned a lot about that just by Spending pretty much a summer um, cold calling, and when I had my first deal here, I hired a guy on Upwork um, that had worked for Goldman. In fact, I think he was like $100 an hour, and he built my first um, temp pro forma, you know, and he showed me, you know, how to do it, and and we built a deck, and then I just started calling and calling, and it took me three months or so. But my very first investor I met through. Uh, an online directory and he flew down and he invested in my first deal and that was, you know, $30 million deal or so. And, and that's how it got started. And then, I, you know, and then you start getting it going and people networking and, you know, and I still, I just got back from a conference on Thursday. I'm always out talking to people, you know, making calls. I, I always do a certain, that's always been my successful action. I try and do a certain amount of whether it's LinkedIn or a conference um, calls, emails, outreach, um, unfortunately, and it's not glamorous at all. I mean, hopefully eventually I'll just be able to, you know, have, <laughs> have a, a strong enough base of investors, but we have a lot of different projects going and different, every investor has a different objective. So I have to have, you know, a big rolodex, And so it takes a lot of work to keep that, to keep meeting new people and, and doing that, but it's just kind of part of my job. I, I try to dedicate at least 10 hours a week to it.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So I can imagine you've had some great wins in that. How did you get used to the nose? Because I'm sure you've had a fair chunk of nose if you started out cold calling as well.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just it's just kind of part of it. You you know, it's it's really a numbers game and people mm-hmm. can get really discouraged, but it takes a lot. I mean, maybe for every a thousand calls I make, I get an investment but if that investment is eight million dollars then totally worth my time right I mean so um you just have to consider like not get introverted into the fact that um and and, you know and then you have to look at someone's personality too I mean if someone makes you feel bad or they hang up on you you just have to go okay well that's that's that person and I don't want to work with that person anyways and just be confident in the facts, you know, and every industry is different, not just real estate, but whether you're selling something or, you know, I mean, I know plenty of very successful female entrepreneurs that like one, one of my girlfriends, I mean, she did it through Rodin and Fields, right. And she, Mm -hmm. it was just that she's, she sold, it's just the number of people you have to reach converts to a sale in every industry. You'll learn how many calls or how many people you have to reach to get, A certain amount of sales or or raise a certain amount of money and so I know that I need you know to reach or email or call a certain amount of people before I get an investment and so I just kind of keep it to something as simple as numbers so that it doesn't make me feel like oh it's because I'm you know an too inexperienced or you know get you introverting.
1: So great to be able to pull back and look at and, and to depersonalize that because I think mm-hmm. that is one of the challenges that we can sometimes face is taking that no really personally. And so you've been able to figure out, actually, this is a numbers game and I just need to play this game. And that helps with depersonalizing some of those experiences. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. with, how did you there, – there's also – uh, so much research about the differences between me- the way men and women negotiate. And, you know, I had a friend um, send me an email uh, just yesterday saying I have a verbal offer. Uh, what do I do now? And so we talked about all the different places that she could negotiate and how important it was to just not say yes to what the offer was. So yeah. you have now do these, you know, high stakes negotiations. How do you prepare for that?
2: Um, I usually do a lot of research on who the other party is, Um, you know, it just, it just depends if it's for a piece of land. And, you know, I'm working with a seller, then I've actually found an advantage being a woman. um, Because it's, it's unassuming for someone that, that I want to get something from right, like their property or something. And right now it's a seller's market. So the seller's, control there's not a lot of people that a lot of people in Nashville that have land they know they're sitting on a bunch of land and they're not necessarily you know very they're not super motivated to sell and and they know that they have they're holding the cards so for me being and being a woman in that it's actually really helped because I think it's unassuming and it makes people more comfortable and you know they don't think I'm you don't get that adversarial like alpha thing going on that two, two men can have. Um, And so usually I'm just, especially here, people are so nice and friendly and hospitable. I mean, I usually just go in and, you know, really listen to what someone's goals are and really try to give them something that they want, you know, in exchange for what I need as opposed to, yeah, as I said, just kind of going in and and thinking that you're working against them. It's it's a lot more solution oriented, um, especially in that case.
0: And then on the finance
2: side, um, I, I fortunately don't really have to negotiate a lot in that sense because that, and, and, and this is what I try to convey to a lot of women or at least people involved in real estate. A lot of people love design and architecture and they, they get really um, preoccupied with the allure of, of the pretty part of all the real estate, which is great. But I knew if I became an architect that I would be working for someone, right? Mm-hmm. And who are they working for? You're working for the developer because the developer is the one that actually, you know, the architect is dreaming it and, and making it, or building it and, and implementing it, but who's in charge of the actual capital or the development is who's driving the overall big picture of it. And so um, I try to tell people that are interested in real estate or whatever, I mean, it really, it starts with the capital stack and who's controlling that. And so, because that's been my area of expertise, I'm, I'm able to kind of, um, you know, there's not a ton of negotiation that happens. It's sort of like what I've implemented or how, how I've done, you know, laid out the deal. Someone can be in it or they can't, but I, I kind of call those shots. So that's, that's helpful.
1: Amazing. So ha, you, you had said that about, you know, thinking about being an architect. Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur?
2: Um, yes, always. Yep. And when I was 16, I used to, I always wanted to be in development and be in real estate. And when I was 16, I used to call Um, I've always called people that I've admired or developers I really admired and just asked them if I could take them to coffee and and that type of thing. I've always done that. Um, So, yes, I always knew I wanted to do something in real estate. I just didn't, you know, I didn't know exactly it would be this or, you know, in Nashville or something, but I always had a big, big sense of that. Hmm. And and being an entrepreneur, I mean, I tried, um, I had a job working, you know, as a salaried employee for that GC company, and I quickly, you know, started doing projects for them and 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 negotiating with my boss on, oh, hey, if I implement this insurance policy that I figured out, that's going to make you a million dollars, can I get a percentage of it? You know, I started my entrepreneur angle, and then I had one other job after that that I then got tired from when I was twenty-five because so I was just a horrible employee. I mean, I just wouldn't. I go to my office for like ten hours a week. I mean. And, and just, you know, I just, it wasn't, yeah, I just, and so I just started when I was about 25, I got laid off or fired, essentially, it was fired, he said it was laid off, but it was fired, and then I uh, started my own company, <laughs> I so, have always had that, you know. Yeah, and
1: amazing, hey, one of those experiences <clears throat> of getting fired that could be so negative and yet um, allowed you to have, to create this, this business. Yeah so you um, wrote a really interesting article for the Forbes real estate council and you identified three niche markets that are too <coughs> small for big developers to go after and and you decided that you were going to cl- play in that space can you tell me a little bit about that decision it seemed like a very strategic decision that you
2: made <coughs> Excuse me. yeah when I first came here um, as I said, there were certain opportunities, like when just looking, just coming from an outside market, a bigger market, like, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, like a big city where you, you come to a place like this and most of the developers are, are locals from here and, Things, opportunities like the waterfront going, okay, well, <laughs> everyone's been to Chicago and lived in San Francisco and you, you want to be on the water and you have views with the water. And that just wasn't something that the developers were thinking with here. Same thing with these asset classes. So, on the condo side, you have to be a lot more creative to finance them. And I don't know if that was the deterrent away from condos in Nashville, but there's literally been one condo building built in the luxury space. And I thought, Gosh, you have all these people moving here from out of state. You have all these people that want to split their time here at least for half a year so they don't have to pay income taxes. A lot of industry people that <coughs> go from LA to Nashville. And so that's where I thought, okay, I want to offer these people ownership. That was that was it. And then the other in um, in that article I talked about industrial flex, is that right? And then mm-hmm condos and office. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just getting into Um But I, um, <clears throat> it's basically just data, looking at the data and looking at the vacancy rates in these spaces. A lot of people, I was really surprised at how much development seemed to be based on relationships here, which is a good thing, but it was a very relationship-based oh, this is what we do because this is what we've been doing and this is what my daddy did and that's what his daddy did and we're office developers and that's what we do, which is great and they're really good at it. But it didn't mean that it was being based on market data. And so because I didn't know anything about this market, by looking at numbers and looking at research and micro and macroeconomics of it, that's kind of where, you know, I, I base my strategies just on numbers, and then it's unemotional, and it's gone really well so far. Like I said, my first project—I said it was going to sell for 32 million. We're at 36 right now, and it's selling out well before it's even done. You know, because it's just—it's—it's it's not any genius thing. It's just looking and going, hey, this there's less than three percent vacancy in this asset class, like it's undersupplied. Let's supply it. That's all. It's very simple. I mean, and most people do that in big cities.
1: It's such a great and that's it right it's a it's a very simple strategy I think sometimes people feel that strategy in their business has to be big and complicated and it's a big it, it can be really confusing and yet this is a very simple strategy that is incredibly effective you look at the data and you make decisions based on on the information it's really quite quite beautiful um meg i'm gonna just lead us off to a break and when we come back um, we'll continue this great conversation
0: think you've seen everything there is to see in online television let us surprise you visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports health business and more on demand 24 7 Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
1: Voice America Business
0: Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. welcome back I'm here
1: with Meg Epstein and Meg I am very curious uh, this idea about strategy and some of these decisions that you've made can you tell me about a time where in your business where you've had to level up and what did you tell yourself who did you look to for advice and how did you make those decisions
2: um you mean like when like a major strategy shift or yeah Yeah. um one of One of the big changes I made was was transitioning from residential to commercial, and that was um, pretty, I already touched on based on information in in the market. I mean, I moved to Nashville, there wasn't $20 million homes here, (laughs) so, um, and and I actually did try to do a little residential when I first got here, and it was just a disaster, so I had to quickly go, okay, you know, I'm going to be in Nashville now, I have to change my strategy, and so. Um, that was mainly market driven. And I I saw the opportunity in commercial. Um, When I became, when I really started to um, look at where my company was going and what kind of company I wanted to be, did I want to be a lone wolf developer that was just doing one off projects? And I kind of had to look and I, um, and really this is where my partners and have come into play. Um, I've, I've built a board of advisors uh, that I would recommend for any entrepreneur um, to have people that are a lot more experienced in the space. Um, I have some just very brilliant minds that I work with that are better. You know, I have general counsel. I have um, some, I have a extremely talented analyst and, and, um, people that are just really amazing at what they do and, and, you know, thought, thought counsel and really listen. Cause I can be quite hard headed, obviously. Right. But I really had to look when I was growing to say, okay, well, if I just keep going in this path, I'm really only going to be as good as how many the projects I do and the money I raise. And once you sell those projects, it's like, what are you really building? There's nothing there that's worth a lot more. So um, I kind of made that I looked at a few different companies and, and the developers that I admire being like, like Gerald Hines being one, one developer that's probably the most prolific I would consider in my generation. And he um, had this vertically integrated model. And, and that's when I kind of last year or so we decided to, I decided to raise a private equity fund and really build out the team with more experienced professionals as opposed to just hiring one-off consultants, like a lot of developers do, and really building something and creating a company culture and, you know, um, partnering with people I, I really admire. And 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 so those steps um, is when I realized it's really all about who you work with and what, what you're building, you know, and looking at where you want to go and not just defensively reacting. Um, and so, yeah, that was about last year. That was like one of the biggest changes I made was vertically integrating to be an investment management as well as development company. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. So how many people do you have on your team now, Meg?
2: Um, Within my, within CA South, we have, we have five. um, But on, I work with a um, development and general contracting partner. I'm a a commercial general contractor myself, but um, we have, I have a development partner. Uh, called the Bradley projects and they they've been very brilliant in a role into all my development and you know they have a whole team of architects and uh, designers and you know project managers to to handle a lot of the um, construction and, and once it starts going vertical and so all of us together I mean there's tons of people that work very closely day in and day out um, amazing and yeah and yeah, kind of getting getting farther on um once you g- get a few projects, you kind of learn who you want to work with and who you don't, and, and who the right financial partners are, and who the right debt relationships are, and
0: you know that's when it's
2: easier to kind of keep your team, you know, accelerated. Once you you hone in on it.
1: Mm. So you had said that you're you have a you're a licensed real estate agent, licensed regist- re- residential and commercial general contractor, and you're working on your certified commercial investment member designation
2: yeah that was
1: um so what makes education and professional development important to you
2: um i I think to be a professional it's sort of you have to be able to analyze information right and um I didn't get an, you know, I didn't, to be honest, like nothing I learned in school really applied to what I, (laughs) what I'm doing now. (laughs) You know, I love UCLA, but it's very academic and not very vocational. I'm sure there are better programs if you get an MBA. Um, I have, I have a, a, one of my analysts is working with me and he has an MBA and he, you know, there's, he's quite brilliant at looking at the information and whatnot. I think in real estate, you have to be able to, work in Excel and, and understand those numbers to make bigger decisions like this. Um, I think there's a lot of professional organizations like CCIM, as I mentioned, CCIM was where I found my first investor, but it really gave me the commercial base. I mean, commercial real estate is way more complicated than residential real sure. estate. And so you have to be able to look at, you know, market trends and cap rates and, you know, where does that? And so that was very integral for me um, to learn the information newly, and it and it did it very. I'm almost at the end of it. I've taken all the, the courses. I just have to take an exam. Um, but it was very integral for me to to learn all these different things about market data. So you're not just basing it on you know what you hear on the news or something, because a lot of times it's not correct. And if you just you know, I, I tend to be a bit of a contrarian investor. Um, and so and I think a lot of really strong investors are so. Um, being able to learn and and another organization that's really great at that and it publishes a lot of data is ULI, Urban Land Institute. Um, It's based on a lot of member feedback and, you know, they have conferences and every, every time I go to one of those things I always learn something about my market or I get an idea or, you know, in real estate, things are changing. People, yeah, the Airbnb, they want to Airbnb. Mm -hmm. That's like an entire sub hospitality industry. People don't want to just go to, you know, they don't. They don't care about my generation. Doesn't care about Marriott points. They want to just. They care about the experience and all these things. So there's trends like that that are influencing what I'm doing. And so it's important to stay on top of them. You know.
1: Mm, I love that idea of the contrarian view. What do you know to be true that other people don't believe yet?
2: Um, well, it's a bit controversial, but I'm I'm for sure just because of how inefficient it is to close a real estate deal. If, if someone, if someone, um, if blockchain doesn't <laughs> happen this year or next, I'm going to be a big proponent of blockchain just because of efficiency and how, um, you, I can't tell you how much um, I've had to transition living in the South. You know, and people, is it someone's birthday or they're going to golf or, you know, is someone's on vacation and it's just not getting done, right? And it's a little bit, less so in the cities, but I think, I think blockchain is inevitable and cryptocurrency is something that is going to be an efficient way to invest. And it might take a long time. um, But I'm definitely, I feel like I will be looking at ways. I don't know a lot about it now and continuing Mm -hmm. to research, but I think it's going to be something that I want to be on the forefront of. And, you know, a lot of people will tell you that it's crazy and, and, you know, but I think it's one of those things that isn't going away and is just too efficient and, and worthwhile um, to sort of decentralize the, that human process. So um, hmm. that, that's something I'm focused on.
1: And you said that you're on a mission to expand and enhance urban revitalization. And, you know, with all of this work that you have in progress, it must be amazing to be like you're literally changing the landscape of the city. So what is your bold Your bold vision for your future and the future of CA South?
2: Uh, I want to, I mean, for, firstly, I think there's, I'm so bullish about Nashville because it's just the perfect convergence of um, music and all, so many amazing things you know industry academia um, and so I've actually looked at other southeastern markets but having come and, and lived in California and dealt with so many things and you know New York and just the traffic and I was just in New York yesterday and um, love visiting but giving people you don't I didn't realize if I hadn't moved here with my husband I wouldn't known that you could just live in a place where you know, parking tickets are $18, and <laughs> everyone's so nice, and you know what I mean, and yeah. you don't have to pay taxes, and it's just, it's just very pro, I would not have been able to do what I've done, in a, in a bigger city, just because there's, there's a lot of opportunity here, so given that, I think I am forever, um, will be in Nashville, I want to be very integral to how it's shaped, and make sure that it's done, can, developed concertedly, uh, one good thing is that they're very pro business and pro development, but on the other hand, you know, you have to make sure we have enough parks and, and people can, and, you know, and transportation is, is being dealt with so we don't end up like one of these cities where where the traffic's horrible. Um, yes. Solving the last mile problem. Um, I want to cap our interstate. That's something that's um, on the National Civic Design Center board. Um, big, big dream list. And, you know, it might take a couple decades, but I'll still be here. And so that's something I want to do. Um, make sure that, you know, people can, people, the, people want urbanism. They want to be able to walk, as I said, they want to have conveniences. I want my developments to um, offer services to people, you know, their dry cleaning, their um, house cleaning, things like that taking care of as part of their living. So I just want to keep helping people do that and, and help Nashville become an amazing, you know, somewhat more international city. I mean, I think it will if it, if it grows correctly and we keep enough parks and, and greenways and that type of thing. I mean, that's something that there, people are very active about. There's some amazing um, people in the city that are, are, work you know very dedicatedly and volunteer a lot of time to make sure that happens so I think that's going to be a big part of what I'm doing here. Hmm.
1: Well you know it's funny I live very far away from Nashville I'm on the east coast of Canada and uh, in the last two weeks uh, I know I know two different sets of people. Who who who've been in Nashville in the last week? Uh, so yeah. it's certainly a hot spot um, for for people in my part of the world as a travel destination. Yeah. So tell me this: What do you do for fun? How do you blend relaxation and downtime with you know this very full and busy life that you have?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. I mean, my, my work workday starts very early four thirty or 5 or so. Um, I have some quiet time in the morning, but, um, natural is great. I mean, my husband and I we try to go to listen to some sort of music, whether it's just out in the honky tonks, which no locals do, I don't think, but I, I, we go on Sunday nights. So it's not some, it's not as much of a do. Um, but always try to listen to music at least once a week. Um, I'm very active and, um, you know, several volunteer organizations. As I said, I'm on the National Civic Design Center board. I work with a human rights um, group here in town um, for fun, yoga. uh, But, you know, my husband's a big sailor. We we try to go sailing every year or so, get out on the water. Um, But otherwise, really just love being here. We have a great group of friends here we've built. And always, you know, there's always so much going on in terms of – nonprofit groups and, and, you know, various entrepreneurial organizations and things like that. And of course, love, I love traveling. I, I'm lucky enough to have, um, to have the ability to go to, you know, go to Europe and spend some time there. And I actually get a ton of work done from there. So it's sort of like working remotely, but with a time difference, um, it's, been, it's been really nice. So I, I, love, I love traveling.
1: Yeah, the time difference allows you to work while everyone else is sleeping, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten a lot done that way. People don't, I don't know if they believe me. I just, I don't really tell anyone if I go over there I just kind of let them think I'm still here. <laughs>
1: <But>. <laughs> Amazing. So what is, how do you support other women in your industry or women in business in general?
2: Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's something I, I'm definitely, that's probably part of the legacy I want for CA south that you'd mentioned is just to help other women get there. Um, i I am a part of an organization that that's just being started now here in Nashville um, like a founding member by a brilliant woman who one of my mentors a machine um, sold shoulder company I don't know maybe ten years ago did very well self made um, and basically dedicates all of her time to helping women and mentoring and being on various boards but but you know, it's basically a group that gets together every, every like, a, like an entrepreneur group that gets together every month and, you know, women share their experiences and you hold each other accountable and goal set. So that's something I dedicated a lot of time to and, and being, becoming involved in. I mentor um, some, lady, you know, younger women that are just starting their companies on and off. Um, but otherwise, just it, it, that's definitely a goldmine. I mean, doing things like this, creating mm. awareness. Um, I do go to there. There are certain women women groups like women in commercial real estate events and things like that. I try to go to and um, network if I know people and, and connect women. And, you know to help elevate what they're doing, basically. Mm.
1: And how do you celebrate your wins?
2: Um, weekends I just <laughs> I like going to the spa and relaxing you know people don't know this about me and they think I'm some I'm super active but I'm actually really sedentary and I, I hate working out and I make myself do it but I, I really love just. I could work from from you know I, I could be in my bed all weekend just on my laptop and reading and I'm just I don't like moving around a lot so when I get it when I get my weekends and you know I have something fun I usually treat myself to spa day <laughs> Oh. Um, to be honest, but yeah, I'm just one of those people. I could just sit and read in bed all, all weekend, you know. I'm just not. I don't like like moving around. With that.
1: <laughs> well, listen, I am a devotee of fall uh, weekends as well, so I I hear you loud yeah. and clear. It's so yeah, lovely. it sounds
2: so it sounds so girly, but you know. And then just I, I you know, my husband and I always do fun things, go out to eat, and that type of stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's usually like my that or. You know, I'm still a girl. People think I'm like, you know, the men I work with, they think I'm some like crazy alpha or something. It's like, no, I'm actually, you know, I'm a proper wife and I like shoes and I buy, you know, buy myself my shoes and go on spa weekends and that type of thing. It's not, you know, I'm pretty girly.
1: And really so lovely that you are redefining what entrepreneurship looks like. And. And that you can do these big deals and hang out in this space and enjoy shoes and going to the spa. Yeah. <laughs> one yeah, of my one of my mentors said one oh sorry one of my mentors said one time no one is one-dimensional and that's kind of what came to mind
2: yeah it's just it's just you get those preconceptions you know and I don't have children yet I mean these I meet other women that have children and, and need to talk about juggling balls, I'm just so admirable. So and assuming, you know, that, that's going to be a challenge eventually when that comes. But yeah, I'm still, you know, in my relationship, I'm a very traditional wife in my relationship. And not, it's not like, it has to be one or the other. I think women in, in 2019 can, can be both.
1: Absolutely. Listen, Meg, as we begin to wrap up the show, I want to say thank you so much. Um, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you are a true inspiration. And I I really appreciate your time and your thoughtfulness. If people want to hear and learn more about you and your business, where can they find you?
2: Um, I think my my website has its contact info. My Instagram is CH South Development. Um, I do. I try to be more active on there. I really should. But Yeah, either Instagram or my email and my website would be great. Wonderful. I'd love to hear from people and help if I can with anyone.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, while people are on the internet checking out, Meg, um, you can certainly head over to my website. We talked so much about strategy and the importance of using data um, to make good decisions. You um, And if you're you know, sort of headed to that seven figures, it means that you need to get clear on your strategy and develop a plan. I've developed a simple and yet madly effective training for planning out your next 90 days. We work through what is your vision and then getting really specific about what that looks like. I've delivered it live quite a bit and now I've created an on-demand version. I think it's terrific and so do the people who have taken it, so I want you to um, just check it out. It gives you the right amount of strategy and planning you need to hit the milestones that you need to hit in your business before the end of the year. Also includes a call with me to confirm your plan makes sense. And uh, I love to talk about business. So do check that out. Finally, Meg, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Join us next week on Voice America. I'm Sarah Roach-Lewis, and this is Breakthrough.
0: Breakthrough. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.